Hello. This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. And as uh, spring sprungs in High Wycombe, bringing the joys of uh, beautiful young women in uh, sil- silky dresses and hay fever, um, we are going to, this month... Get away from all that. Get away from all that. We, we are going to chat to two of our friends um, amongst the great and good of British gaming, and we're going to be talking about two transhuman futures and how they contrast and compare. But before we get into that, Bundle of Holding is selling Mongoose Traveller 1st Edition for the next couple of days after this comes out. And yes, Mongoose are gearing up to release Traveller 2nd Edition, but if you don't need the newest and shiniest rules, it's not at all bad. It feels to me like a set of house rules for original Traveller. I mean that in a good way. (laughs) It it sands off the dodgy bits. There's no great big weapon versus armour table anymore. Armour just soaks up damage. You you don't die during character generation. If you get thrown out of your career, you can try something else. Yeah, and it it, it has many, many neat new, neat features, which, well, these days I really must get around to trying. But it's recognisably Traveller in a way that Mega Traveller and New Era really weren't. And the next one offer that's coming up is causing Roger to drool a little... Uh, well, it's actually the, the same uh, offer they did last year, uh, which is about half to two-thirds of Torg. Anything uh, you haven't got there? No, but I, ha- I have an extensive collection from the first time round. Uh, what they've got at the moment is basically the rules and background material and the initial adventure trilogy, but not the other adventures that came later. Don't know why, maybe it's a rights thing. It's not the world's best rules at or background, but there's a certain naive fun about it. Mm. And that's still going for another two or three days, I think. Is Torg Infinity the one that's coming up? Or possibly Torg Eternity. Out this year, honest, as they said last year and the year before. <laughs> so, yeah, there will be a new edition someday, maybe. Oh, well, uh, we can but hope, and uh, we'll review it when we get to it. But meanwhile, onwards, mm. upwards. Beyond! We were talking a short while back about the difficulties and uh, possibilities of writing core rule books, how to make them understandable, easily adaptable and absorbable by newcomers and uh, new users. And we have come upon a pair of worked examples which we'd like to compare and contrast for you. These are uh, games that have a fair fair amount in common. They both use the same core system, and they're both in the same general area of genre. They're both post-human science fiction, and they're both using fate. But they do uh, do the approach in in different directions, and they are at different ends of of that sub-genre. We're talking about Novapraxis and Mindjammer. Roger, talk about Mindjammer. This started its life as a supplement to Starblazer Adventures, which mm. came out a few years ago. Um, it is now its own thing. It had a, quite a successful Kickstarter last year. Uh, it's written by Sarah Newton. Um, and what I, the impression I get is it's very much focused on the story. I mean, that's something you get yeah. from Fate anyway. Yeah, well, it is, it, it is a story generating engine. But it's, it's a science rather, fiction rather game. Rather than a simulator. It's a science fiction game for non-maths heads. Mm. And speaking as a maths head, I'm 
both impressed and slightly <laughs> repulsed by this. I am, I am slightly. I, I'll come to, to the reasons I have slight dubiousness about this approach later, myself later. But go but, on. But broadly speaking, it's the far future. Um, Earth is still there. There are the core worlds which are terribly civilized, mm. and then you go a bit further out via FTL drive, and it gets much less civilized, and there are nasties out there. Yeah, yeah. It has to be said. This is the far, far future, even farther than Traveller, since there's been a, a collapse of, of human civilization. Um, yeah, uh, there, our, our human civilization is buried under under the ice of of its fall a long time in the past, and millennia, tens of millennia have passed. Yeah, the, this is the second, which makes it a bit odd that people are still called George and, and, and things like that. Mm, uh, there's, there's a reason for that, which we'll come back to. But this this is the second space age. The first space age being not the stuff we did last century, but the initial colonization wave. So lots of colonies went out, then things collapsed. So they've had to jolt together. All, 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 all slower than light in the initial expansion phase, and um, uh, subject to all the uh, collapse and uh, mutation that. Uh, that uh, cut-off civilizations tend to undergo in this sort of story. Which means you can go out somewhere and it'll be weird. Yeah. Uh, they're, writing, they're writing for the weird. This is the, I would say, is the high space opera end of transhumanism. There is, uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, on that is prefigured in modern science fiction, but this is way, way, this is, this is not quite culture. But um, but getting there in places, it starts to look a little like that, though, with some exceptions, which we'll come back to. Mm-hmm. What about Nova Praxis? Well, Nova Praxis is more on the same end as Eclipse Phase, which I went on about um, in some of our earlier episodes. Again, it's using um, fate to have a story-driven appreciation of something that's highly technical. In, it, in its fine details, rather than all the number crunching that Eclipse Face has. But it's at the punk end. I'm not sure what sort of... It's transhumanist punk a bit. Mm. Not It's not as dark and nasty as uh, Eclipse Phase is, uh, but they do destroy all life on Earth with a nanophage in the early stages. Play Mindjammer, we didn't blow up the Earth. <laughs> Much. We 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 just covered it with ice and destroyed all traces of early human civilization. They say, the um, yeah, but people still live there. True, true, and 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 you can say, and you can go and look at this is the stump of a uh, stump of a, of the great buildings that that the prehistoric people built, and it is um, it is in somewhat in the same sort of sociological model as uh, as eclipse phase as well the the main central authority is a kind of corporate feudalism in which uh, in which there are houses as in um, as in dune but no emperor whatsoever just a bunch of six uh, competing houses and a lot of outsiders waiting to be absorbed or crushed depending there are no optimistic outsider um cultures like the uh, the the extreme humanist or uh, or libertarian bunches in eclipse phase i got the impression that uh, you can either be part of the system or you can explicitly reject the system be a hunted fugitive and try to get out of that area to set up on your own somewhere which will last really well until the air recycler fails yeah or you can be what what they encourage you to be um which is somebody on the fringes dancing it in and out and i kept thinking this is fun is it 
This is, this is, this is, this is, you, you don't, you have, have a reputation, but it's based on a, on a false, uh, on a false identity, identity chip. And otherwise you're out there on the fringes swapping precious gold coins for stuff. And I thought, this is fun. Is it, this is dancing <laughs> on the edge. But as I say, both of them, um, use fate and both of them use fate to, Overcome, um, the, the math crunching, the clips phase, um, had to fall into. Yeah. For, for example, a, a spaceship, it has its basic acceleration rating, but apart from that, it, its stats are basically aspects. So you, you, you might have bulky mm. and difficult to maneuver. Yeah. And, and that, that's not you get minus one to your maneuvering rolls. It's at the relevant dramatic time, either you can say, yes, that's happening and therefore, or somebody else can say, yes, that's happening and therefore. Yeah. Um, um, but then it's a good thing that I'm bulky and difficult to manoeuvre just at this moment in time. It means I can't dodge you. Oops, what a pity, Crunch. Yeah. <laughs> I find that this is l- easing my mind less than I, I thought it would because um, well, there's still an awful lot of stuff in both these books. Yeah, the thing about fate has a reputation as being simple. We've we've talked about it before. I know, uh, but I, 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 I think I, 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 it is it's mechanically complex. It's just a different sort of mechanically complex. You know, it, it it doesn't tell you how fast your spaceship can go. Yeah, but it does have all sorts of other stuff about how you can structure a story that you are telling, playing it. Yeah, uh, the, uh, it, it has to be admitted, and I think we've both admitted this in the past uh, that I do not grok um, fate. It is not one of those systems that clicks for me. Yeah, that's, this is true for me, but I look at Mindjammer and I really want to. Yeah, what, what's attracting you then? Um, there is, well, first of all, there is just a sense of fun and wonder. Yeah, true. Um, this is much the same sort of thing that I get from Transhuman Space, and a little bit from Eclipse Space, though not as much. Hmm. But there, there is stuff out there to discover. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be an optimistic game, but that is certainly one one of the modes in which it can be played. Yeah, the the the, what, the commonality strikes feels a bit smug. In fact, I'm not sure if that's deliberate, but it doesn't. Feel, yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel um, United Federation of Planets optimistic. It feels smug. Well, I th- that is deliberate. If you, if you look at the um, core world's culture, there's there's a lot of stuff about status is everything yeah. and appearances matter and so on. Uh, you, you could certainly twist it towards um, power games of, of the ridiculously ultra-tech, yeah. if you wanted to. Um, it does a very odd thing, and I think a very brave thing for a modern game, is that it doesn't try to give you a default campaign. You are, you are people mm. X who do Y. Um, it does give several options, but it, it, the basic approach is the players and GM should sit down and talk about the sort of thing they want to do, the sort of themes they want to come up and so on, yeah. and construct something out of that. And it, it does, give, does give a lot of options. I, it, 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 there's a three-way system in there. There's, there's um, the, the overall theme, as in we are living in a golden age, yeah. or transhumanism is what's happening, or we are following up the Great Diaspora and contacting old... Yeah, or whatever. There, there are styles, you know, gritty or heroic, and there, there are tones, um, optimistic and cynical, and so on. And there, then, then finally, at the end of all this, you get you get the genres like what we're actually going to be doing: exploration, mm. mining and salvage, special ops, solving yeah. mysteries. So on. that's probably good enough to put together a campaign. It should be noted that 
there's no way a starting group other than the GM is going to have the any clear idea of what, what this culture and what this setting is like. A lot of it is deliberately left undefined, and I think in some respects that's a good thing. Um, you know, fate encourages players to make stuff up anyway, yeah. um, and there is definitely room for that. There, there is no canonical list of worlds. Mm. There are lots of worlds out there, hundreds at least. If a GM wants a world that's like a particular thing, well, that's not a problem. Yeah, it's, it is deliberately as vague as the Star, Star Trek universe was. There are worlds, this is the border... We'll make up a new world for the for this next episode. The nasty guys are over that way. Yeah, and there are more nasty guys over there. On the other hand, it, it does give over a whole page to the math- clearly mathematically terrifying idea of calculating distances in three dimensions. I missed, I missed that bit. Which is basically, you know, you can measure the distance on the map, and then, then you get the Z, Z axis yeah. numbers, and then you do terrifying things with them. <laughs> and if you want to do slightly less terrifying things, here's the table. All right. It's, uh, okay. I mean, yes, all right. There are probably people who are intimidated by square roots. Me, well, me. I'm, I'm, I'm mildly intimidated by square roots. And that, okay. not, not to mention sines and cosines and things like that. Oh, this isn't Gup's vehicles, mate. <laughs> which had none. Which had square roots and cube roots, but that's about it. It had a lot of calculation, but none of it was terribly complicated. Anyway, that's another argument. Uh, all right, go on. Um. It, it's a curi- curious, two two stranded thing that you generate. You, there is a chapter on world generation, mm. and the first thing you do when you're generating a world is the high concept for that world. Yeah, as it might be regressed, lost colony, inferior garden world, or uh, ruined civilization on a swamp world that's a gas giant moon. Yeah, we're only going to be here for one episode. Let's not go into too much detail. Yeah, and then if you do want to, then the next thing you do gives you, you know, gravity and atmosphere and things. And then, then yeah. you, if you re- if you want to, you can do the whole classic solar system generation. I mean, it's not GURP space, but no. it will give you there are this many planets and they're like this and so on. Fair enough. So it, it, it's trying trying to go into in these two separate directions, which is interesting and and I, I rather like it. The uh, there is also a chapter on organisations which uh, I, I I skimmed thoroughly um, uh, about which reminded me of Rain a bit, but I didn't see its immediate usefulness to the campaign the way I did with the uh, company's rules out of out of Rain. Mm, again, I I think some of that may be just how does how does fate actually handle this? And mm. th- there, there's this stuff in fate, stress and consequences. Yeah, which I think is probably an interpretation of what in the old days would have been stun damage and wounding damage. Stress goes away fairly quickly, wounding damage takes consequences. Take you longer. can play it that way, sort of. Yeah, But, but so a, consequ- just, a consequence isn't just, oh, oh, I've just had yeah, my sure, arm blown but, off. But very broadly, look, short-term and long-term balances. Yeah. And this is used for things like credit stress. You can stress your credit rating by buying something. Yeah, that, now that reminded me of Rain as, as well. They're not quite as... There's all. I'll cut. Yeah, I'll come to the equivalent mechanics in. Uh, and, in and there's plot stress in the moment. Yeah, which is when when you do stuff that makes that. Well, for example, dawdling and not not engaging with the plot. Yeah. Um, that the plot stress marker get, t- takes extra damage and and bad things will happen. That's so bloody meta. Um, I'm not. Sh- I'm not at all sure that 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 I that, that I like it. It's what it does mean is you have a list of in ascending order of nasty things that can happen, and you don't have to use plot stress to have that find that list useful. 
Also true. Talk, talk about Nova Praxis, which I, I get the impression is it still has FTL, I think. It has FTL. Scale. This is the early years of expansion out from, out from Earth. Um, due to war between the basically the new style governments, which were heavily embracing the uh, reputation economy and um, and the whole... Uh, there has been a single singularity in plot terms to keep it controlled. Mm-hmm. Somebody built a supercomputer which went sentient and produced all sorts of neat stuff which is sort of difficult to dis- decipher, but it spewed it out in an info dump and then decided to get either A, die, B, transcend, or C go away somewhere um it's a, it's a, all left vague in the background but there's all this stuff that's being mined for um build anything machines and immortality and uh, faster than light travel mm-hmm. the people back on our old earth the people who um embraced this got into a war with the people who said no we like our governments we like our nation states and we like money <laughs> and uh, somebody released a grey goo at somebody else's capital, which sort of got out of control. Funny how that happens. Yeah, well, it, it's almost—it's almost as if people haven't read transhuman fiction before doing that sort mm. of stuff. And uh, anyway, the off switch didn't work, and uh, people bundled off Earth. Some of them in uh, in in living form, and some of them as stored computer programs. And Earth itself was consumed, and every so often. The uh, the machine intelligence down there, which is eating everything, goes gloop gloop and fires something alarming off off up into orbit, <laughs> and some people are trying to figure out how to drop the Earth into the sun, but that's on the side. Takes a lot of energy. Anyway, I think, yeah, you see, it's not well. I don't think they move it. I think they just never mind. It's plot differences, and out there, for some reason or other. People fleeing from Earth, it seems, are willing to sign up to almost any sort of corporate slave contract. And this leaves the six... Well, we could send you back to Earth if you don't want to sign. There's no coercion involved. (laughs) And uh, the six great houses emerge, two of which are enthusiasts for going uh, ahead with, you know, let's expand, let's do everything, let's not... Um, change ourselves. Let's not worry about restricting the change on ourselves. And the other four of which are more cautious and who fight amongst themselves. And it's in the so-called shadow war that the default, um, that the default campaign pain is set. So basically you, corporate black operations. Corporate ninjas, I think, I think, yeah. and, and despised and, and looked down upon as ninjas always regrettably are. <laughs> but, uh, you know, very, you do not get any honour for being a ninja in, mm. in, in this, in, but you do occasionally get, you know, paid and useful stuff. Paid is good. Still alive is good. Yeah. And, uh, as I say, out on the fringes, there are people resisting, resisting this, but they can't get access to the shiny new build anything high tech. And some of them don't want it anyway. And there are traditional issues of, if you choose to have your brain gradually replaced with a nano machines over, say, a week, are you still you? <laughs> if you choose to have your body replaced with uh, something new and shiny, after that, are you still you? Are you still the ship of your grandfather, or 
the ship Axe of Achilles or whatever it is. <laughs> um, you are still, are you, are you, and that, those sort of issues are there in the background. And it feels a bit more, more punky that apart from the nasty thing on earth, there isn't the creeping nastiness you find in eclipse phase mm-hmm. there is, but but it's definitely as i say going towards some sort of punk even if i'm not entirely sure what sort of punk what what would you say is the big nasty oh if there is one i'm not sure i'm not if there is a big nasty i think i must have missed it but there is there is conflict there is war there are people out there who are probably willing to do anything the Non-corporate people are depicted as terrorists, which some of them certainly are, willing to walk into um, memory banks which are storing uh, people who are currently non-corporeal uh, whilst wearing high explosives. And mm-hmm. at the same time, the, uh, the, the corporate governments are corrupt, some of them are willing to recruit, um, are willing to recruit outsiders and give them a chance to become citizens of the corporate state. And some of those people who recruit them regard new recruits as ideal biotechnical experiment material. Mm. Um, you didn't read the, you didn't read the, uh, uh, the small print in your contract, did you, Squire? Mm. So. If you did, we want to know where you got your eyes from. <laughs> the, The whole, the whole thing is, is going to, is going towards the corporate warfare and there are not yet any great alien menaces, but it would be damned easy to write them in. People are exploring out from Earth, looking for new worlds to, uh, to settle and horror could easily creep in from the outside. Yeah, because the big nasty in Mudjammer, and there are various local hazards, mm. but the thing that's presented as, as the major threat is the Venu, who are, who are a right. lost colony, who are in, in many senses really quite conventional, uh, as far yeah, as they, human science fiction goes. I mean, they, they are a foreign power, they have lower lower tech but higher viciousness. They are Klingons, let's be perfectly frank. Um, Klingon, Klingon slash Reavers. Yeah, yeah, they, they, don't communi- they don't communicate as well as Klingons. Uh, but they have guns called protein disruptor, so you know. Yeah, and they have a god emperor, which you know is never a good sign, <laughs> unless you're the god emperor. The so the the whole the whole thing are different, but there is just as much stuff to be to be grokked, mm. and just as much the uh, the the degree of um, cyberpunk existence, the degree of um, virtual reality is almost the same in the two games. Yep. The, the imagination, now they're projecting one uh, tens of millennia into the future and one um, uh, a couple of hundred years, a few hundred years into the future, but both of them are drawing from the same pool of present-day science fiction yep. about what it would be like to be a machine intelligence or a human transported into um, into cyberspace and living there. There's one very odd thing in, in uh, Mindjammer, at least. It's something, something that I generally look for because it's the sort of character I often like to play, but it doesn't seem to have native artificial intelligences. Uh, you you have sapient yeah. robots, but their personalities are based on yeah. um, humans recorded at point of death. 
Well, I think that is, is, I can understand why they did it. It's to give, to restrict the possibilities and to give a, a hook you can put into, uh, you, you can, you can put, you can give to the player here. This is what this person is like. This is still a person, mm-hmm. still has feelings. It, it's very difficult to play uh, an incomprehensible entity. Or actually, it's very easy. It's just <laughs> not um, helpful to the other players. It's a sort of character type I do often play, so I was quite surprised to see it missing. Well, Roger... I'm not objecting. Roger, what does it say about you that, that you like to play in incomprehensible entities? <laughs> oh, the, the last time I was playing... Um, Memories start at the point of applying for political asylum with with the European Union. This is in transhuman space. Yeah, it took took um, Faroese citizenship for tax purposes, and is, is try, trying to run simulations of Grindadrup, the traditional whaling, which is difficult. A because it hasn't happened for several hundred years at this point, and or at least a hundred years or so. And B the the AI in question is a Buddhist, so <laughs> that's the sort of character I like to play in a transhuman game. Okay, leaving this to one side for the moment. Um, okay, can you play a sapient spaceship? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I see that. that. I, I, I see, I see no pro- problem with that. I can't remember if they've given stats, but I can see no problem problem with that at all. <laughs> I got, what I wanted to go to was the two different approaches in in, in teaching the game, because yeah. they do take very different approaches. Praxis, to be frank, does a, does the huge data dump right up front. Mm. The first half of the book is, um, this is what the world, world is like, thump, without very much reference to, uh, to game, to, to game system. You could take yeah. it and port it to another game system quite easily. The second half is all the rules, all the stuff, how you build and how you run. One thing that should be said, and one thing that was a big selling point with the um, uh, with the Kickstarter and and with the setup up of it, is that it's presented as a very hyperlinked mm-hmm. um, uh, PDF. At least, uh, well, at least the version we we've read, and that makes some things easier, but not quite. I'm not sure the technology is quite good enough. For a start, they didn't use normal PDF bookmarks and links. They used some special JavaScript thing, which means most Linux users won't be able to see it at all. Yeah, I found that I couldn't link back to where I just... Uh, footnotes took me to things, but then I had to remember which page I had I had come from. And that is not... I mean, it may be, again, uh, a disadvantage of running it on a particular system. Those yeah. of you out there... But, but also, the, the, the page shape is landscape. and This is designed to be read on screen. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing, yeah. and probably probably saved my eyes a good deal a good deal of strain. Yeah, Mindjammer is being published as a print book, as well as PDFs, several yeah. print books, in fact. And it's laid out like a print book. Yeah, um, and it goes the opposite route. The impression I get is I, I haven't actually tried generating a character because one of the things they suggest you should do is do this as a group, but um, you get a fairly lightweight introduction to the world of the this is the sort of thing that's out there. Yeah. And then it dumps you fairly straight into these are what the cultures are like, and these are the sort of people you can be. Yeah, with just enough detail to uh, to say, oh, that looks cool. Well, one of the good things about face in this regard is is that you can have for your culture here are three or four typical aspects that someone from that culture would have. Yeah, 
And and you suddenly go, oh, I want them all. <laughs> the, one of the things that Mindjammer did, which I didn't notice in Nova Praxis, I may, I may have missed it, is that because you group create uh, your characters, um, you also, uh, at, at one stage, write the previous adventures and this is how we met and the links between the characters in, into into the into the backstory. Yeah, there, there is a quick start book mm. uh, called Dominion, which is basically first half is a compressed rules, mm. second half is a short adventure, uh, and it comes with four sample PCs, which includes a tech who helped to capture ship to escape, yeah. the ship, an investigator who was looking for the ship, and the snake uh, snake genotype based special ops soldier. Mm. Because they don't show up on infrared. Yeah, but but, but, but you but, can't you, but you can't can't use them on cold days. But they, but they are trying for a certain amount of weirdness here. Oh, they're, they're, it's a fairly conventional set of weirdness. It yeah. felt. It, it's not hard to get a handle on. The, I must admit that I've I've had this PDF for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, it came out fairly soon after the Kickstarter finished. But it's huge. It's more than five hundred pages. It is just it, for the base book. And, and there's more stuff coming. Another practice I haven't noticed any more stuff coming from yet. And it's a hundred and something, I think, pages. Or two hundred or so. Okay. It's a, it's 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 a it's fairly chunky. It does feel um, it it actually feels slightly weirder than um, uh, than uh, than Mind Jammer does. Maybe because it is devotedly near future and you've still got the raw edges on the all this strange new tech mm. coming in and you can still feel the echoes of um known earth history in it whereas with mind general they've deliberately wiped that all out isn't it strange how much science fiction requires to wipe out all knowledge of our current civilization except there's a specific thing in there which I, which I reckon was put in uh, really to answer this sort of objection. Neo cultures. I don't know if you came across this. I think I may have flicked. Past but basically, that page. in areas of major cultural conflict, yeah. these have been set up to be specifically stable cultures. Yeah. And what this means in practice is they are highly stereotyped ancient cultures. I mean, think of the think of the level of cultural fidelity of Asterix in Britain. Actually, I was thinking of the level of, cult- of cultural fidelity. Of second series Star Trek, where they found Nazi world and Roman world and that sort of thing. Yeah, so if if you want to play a spaceship that, that insists on stopping at four o'clock for tea and says stiff up a lip, old chap. Yeah, but that, but that is in genre. That's in the book. Yeah, but that's totally unbelievable given the <laughs> given given the background that 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 they put in the in the in, in their history. It's, it's utterly unbelievable. Well, all right. Maybe they have got. Maybe may, I can sort of imagine that they have managed to preserve of all English literature one Jane Austen novel, maybe, or or, or, or perhaps ha, perhaps Sexton Blake, and, and they're basing everything off that. Uh, God knows what would happen if they if they managed to preserve Fu Manchu. I, I regard this as a sign of the author not taking things too deadly seriously. Yeah, well, quite. Ah, oh, dear me! Well, go on, throw away the, all the stuff, all the stuff you've established, and, and just have a joke in it. Why don't you, pa humbug? It almost fits. It almost fits. But just looking at that quick start adventure, because that that's okay. often a good example of the the sort of way they expect you to play a game. The core of the adventure is you you are going somewhere to to 
make, basically make contact with someone and get get some jobs from them and get yeah. some missions from them, and they have been kidnapped, and you have to find you have to track them down before they get handed over to the big nasties. Yeah, that is fairly fairly simple and straightforward. But there is this side note of this is on a planet which feels already a bit edgy about the commonality, which you mm. which you guys effectively represent because it's fairly out on the fringes. Yeah. And the more you throw your weight around and the more you make them think, oh, well, the commonality doesn't care about us, the tougher it gets. Mm. So that's, that's so, so you plot just, pressure. So, so you don't just say, right, we need to find, the, find these guys and shoot them. We need to say, okay, we need to find these guys and shoot them and make it clear to the locals that we value the locals at least as much as ourselves, even though we don't. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there is opposition to this adventure. Among the opposition is a really enthusiastically helpful space combat drone militia. <laughs> and, and, and if they realise you've got problems, they'll say, "Yeah, we'll we'll, in, we'll inspect every ship that comes in and goes out, so that, that your your kidnapped person doesn't get away." And they're, they're not subtle in their inspection of every ship that comes out and in mm. and goes out, and that in, in turn will generate cultural tension. Yeah, all right. Th- this is the sort of thing I like. It's just a bit of a twist on the standard way of doing things. Comparing and contrasting the two approaches, which do you think works best in these cases? Well, I, I have read more of Mindjammer anyway. Um, I really like it. I want to play it. I want to run it. Hmm. I don't know how I'm going to do this yet. Um, wh- whether I whether I can finally grok fate or whether I just convert it to GURPS, probably equal yeah. levels of effort. But I, I like this world. I want to play in it. Yeah, I like the I like the approach of Mind Jammer. Well, the the, the wild, wide openness is 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 makes it easier to generate stories and easier to generate the universe. Um, but I think what it may do is make it harder to generate emergent stories, mm. and that there's lots of stuff in Fate about how you you make a story go in this particular way. Yeah, there is very little. What you don't have is the the thing that I like in something like GURPS, where you where you can say, okay, here here are the actual numbers for how the spaceship performs. Out of that, we can get yeah. How this yeah, it's not. A, neither of these are, are modelling anything other than. Narrative. And, and, you you and, have things like equipment. Hmm. If you if you want to have a blaster rifle, yeah. you can just have a blaster rifle. It won't do anything. You just have your default attack with it. Hmm. But you have it. It's it's part of the colour of your character. Or you can pay points for it hmm. and say, right, this, this is a this is a blaster rifle that actually does hideous damage to people. Which is, it's not the way I think about games. No, quite. It's. Hmm. It's not the way I think about universes, to uh, to uh, to be to be honest. Um, I, well, the, I, we should say there is a Traveller T20 conversion mm. of this. I think it's T20 conversion of this coming out at some point within the, within the year, which is a much more conventionally mechanical system, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing just how that works. Mm. I think um, that as a as a model of a culture, the Nova Praxis works better. It's got things like try, actually trying to build a reputation economy and actually having mm-hmm. um, having some thought. I'm, I I really do. I, I say again, I really do find the idea of a reputation economy quite horrifying. <laughs> but uh, they have got, given some some thought to it, um, and it's yeah, not I, nearly I, as clunky as and games mechanical as Eclipse Phase was. It seems to be about about right. But on the other hand, running something. It would be so much easier to run a game in Line Gemma, uh, than it, uh, than it would in, in Nova Praxis. I, I was going to ask about the approaches to teaching the game as well, mm. because the info dump versus the, 
Let's get into the mechanics first. Let's show well, you everything and then give you the background. Yeah, uh, the, the impression I... Well, you, you've got a Starships chapter, for example, in Mindjammer. Yeah. And Starships have already been mentioned, mm. and we already know roughly the sort of thing that happens, and then, then that chapter will say, OK, here is what their stats look like, here are the sorts of aspects they have, which comes to more or less the same thing. Yeah. Um... And, and here are some detailed rules on, you know, if, if you want to get from A to B, how long does it take you? And the answer is it largely depends on how good your FTL piloting is. Mm -hmm. But um, the, there is no single single place that you look at for starships and, and get the entire dump because they've been gradually introduced as things went mm -hmm. along. Um, th this makes it... It's not an ideal reference work, therefore, but on the other hand, if, if, you, if you want to know something about starships and look in the starships chapter, that's usually where it'll be. Yeah, I do like huge info dumps, but then I suspect I am not—I uh, am not the average uh, average con consumer. Um, I I I did I did find the, the 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 history of Nova Praxis interesting and enlightening and telling me about what the campaign will be about. I did find it, but as I say, it does tend to be a bit restrictive with that much de detail. I. On the other hand, my eyes glazed over as I was going through all of those lists of stuff mm. and aspects and equipment and stunts and yeah, there, there is some of that in Mind Jammer too. Well, no, I meant in Mind Jammer. Yeah, I was control right there, but yeah, um, I don't, I, I don't know. There is something about um, there is something about fate that stops me organising it in my brain. Or there is something in my brain which stops me organising fate. They don't appear to be compatible at this point. I, I, I do feel the same way. I think it may help if I if I just find somebody who who understands fate really well and playing some games with them. But I haven't yet. We may have made this note before. Yes, if if you, the listener, under, understand fate and like running it, run a game for us. We can sort this out remotely. Yeah. On the whole, we we, we sort of enthuse about both of these in, in different hmm. degrees and different in different kinds. Yeah, I, th I think if the the flaw for Mindjammer, in terms of what I see other games doing that it doesn't, is that lack of, lack of a default campaign. I, th I think it's a very bold move to say you should generate the sort of campaign that interests you, but I think it will leave novice gems potentially quite lost. Hmm. I find the default campaign in Nova Praxis. I don't, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm, I'm just a big softy, but I find hovering on the edge of, of constant bankruptcy or being turned into biological experimentation raw material <laughs> is... Um, Aren't you glad you have a laser? <laughs> yeah. Is a little, uh, is, is a little strange. I, I would like it if there were some signs of optimism in, in, in Nova Praxis. They're not perhaps quite as much as there is in Mindjammer, to be honest. Yeah, if, if there is a default campaign at all in Mindjammer, there's the one that's in some of the examples, hmm. uh, which is... It ends up looking an awful lot like special circumstances. <laughs> which is not a bad thing. No, true. <laughs> but they, they don't, they don't, the trouble with, uh, with, with a culture is that you can always pull out... Well, uh, the, Ian Banks could always is pull out some superior bit of uh, of culture tech which you hadn't. All right, spoiler yeah. warning. Well, th this also doesn't have the super intelligent AIs, which I think would help. Well, that's true. Yeah, they have for reasons which are probably we saw it happen in the culture and we couldn't handle it. 
Um, they're, they're both of them have limited the super intelligent AIs to either non-existent or um, off-screen persons who do not appear in this particular adventure. Well, I, I, I can see why. I mean, if there are super intelligent AIs out there, then your adventures are basically we are playing mice in a, mice in a mouse arium. Uh, yeah. as, as far as the the influence they have on the outside world. Yeah, it's true. But, um, well, on the whole, we recommend, and on the whole, we'll move on, I think, hmm. to the next thing. This section is number two in a sequence, which we are calling Roger and Mike Talk to People and go to conventions to do it. We're in Manchester for the British Annual Science Fiction Convention, the Easter Cult, and we have corralled with threats, whips and bananas to noted gamers attending the con. We have with us Mr. John Dolman. Hello. Hello. And then ubiquitous Dr. Bob. Hello. I'll start with ladies first. Ladies first, Dr. Paul, how did you get started in gaming? Uh, many, many years ago. I'd heard of this thing called Dungeons & Dragons, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. It sounded intriguing. And then one of my brother's... My brother's friend's older brother went to university and discovered the gaming so and came back in the, in the holidays with a pile of these books. Yeah. Um, which he, um, he introduced his little brother and all all right. little brother's friends to. Mm. So my brother Simon came back um, from 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 visiting his his friend Mark, having played this game, and a, with a borrowed handful of polyhedral dice and some <laughs> vague memories of the rules, <laughs> and he he made up a dungeon for me and my my other brother. And I, I was sufficiently intrigued to when the, 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 the following year I then went to university to kind of go and seek out what the hell this was all about. Mm. <laughs> oh, so that's what that bit meant. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah the, wh- when I actually encountered the real rules, the ones that Simon had remembered were, were creative, uh, <laughs> if, if not entirely accurate. Uh, okay, so when was that about? Uh, would have been... About 1982. Oh, so that was very much early D&D. Yeah, it, it was... Golden um, Age of White Dwarf. It, the, 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 the version that Simon's friend had was the uh, one of the basic box box yeah. sets. The version I encountered when I went to uni, the, the local game of Silk had the hardback book, AD&D hardback books. Mm, yeah. I yeah. And John, a similar question in your direction? It was at another science fiction convention... My first, in fact, the Worldcon in 1979 in Brighton, I was wandering around going, there's an almost infinite supply of strange and interesting things here. (laughs) (laughs) And here was one that seemed to take up too much time to be a good idea at a convention, which is fairly limited in scope, (laughs) but nonetheless looked intriguing. So when I went to university two months later... I poked around a little and found there was indeed a society doing this kind of stuff. And they played original little booklets, <laughs> oh. plus add-ons. Yeah. And then there was another group, which was another group and had a significantly overlapping membership, but not entirely so. 
<laughs> and they played AD and D. And I have in fact never played the boxed coloured basic D and D in my life. Mm. I think it didn't come out until a few years after that. So oh no, it was out then. I think was it? Okay, there, there may have been several iterations. I, I the mould the the the, the, mold vey, uh, the basic yes. boxes in eighty one, eighty two, which <coughs> got into a lot of mainstream shops. Mm. Which is certainly where I got in. I played that. People came along from other Midlands universities. There was, in the early 80s, quite a strong cross... There were different university groups that played in recognisably different styles. Yeah. But some, people's, some people moved between them and cross-fertilised things. What were the styles? They were all more rationalistic than what we could dig out of the t- of what TSR wrote. TSR weren't very good at technical writing in those days. Well, you yeah. didn't get a very clear idea of what was actually meant to happen. Mm. E- even with the example of play, yeah, th- this was the days when they were still recommending you have a caller, after all. Yes. The, the concept of somebody who is immediately driving the party is still one that I am quite happy with. Happy with anybody stick their oar in, but there's somebody who's keeping track of what's going on and doing the, and doing the basic progressing until we all need to need to go into action. Uh, less a GM than a cat herder. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it it's it was almost indifferent styles of what you were influenced by the Loughborough group was significantly Moorcock-influenced, but it was as well as Moorcock's heroic fantasy, and to see people had read Jerry Cornelius and the SF as well. And things got more stirred in. To me, D&D is intrinsically postmodern. You can't help getting influences from outside this kind of purist world of fantasy and wizards and so forth because there's always a crashed alien spaceship uh, somewhere uh, yeah, it's yeah, this purist yeah. world of anything that'll fit even originally so, <laughs> so postmodern I, this word is postmodern that I have wondered about and in fact it means mash up anything yes <laughs> and, and, uh, and meta with a degree of self-awareness and meta and a degree of self-parody. Mm. <laughs> Don't take it seriously, it's too silly for that. There are degrees of how seriously you can take it. I've played games where you could take nothing seriously, not even <laughs> even, even the, at the opening of a door or having a fight for your life. There are games where it's entirely serious and important at that level, but the characters are aware that something about what's going on here that doesn't entirely make sense. Some of us are educated people. We, people, we are somewhat cosmopolitan and there's something weird going on here. Uh, and, but and if you play that way and you push the GM on it, on it a little, then he'll back rationalise and it'll start to make more sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my players are doing to me, the swine. <laughs> So there's also the games that, that are the, the, the selling point is it's deeply serious and meaningful and so on, but somehow it always turns into a carry on film. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may be just the people I play with. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it, well, there's a distinction between between uh, the seriousness of the moment in the game uh-huh. and the the fact that the players are coping with the fact that the universe is about to end if they don't get that combination opening time with humour. And it's a very peculiar state of mind that gamers are, are in. There is the state of mind of the character, and there is a state of the mind of the player. And, and 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 sometimes it's the GM's job to shift the focus to where he wants yes. it to be. But you, you can't always keep a cap on the the players. There is another field of popular culture that has that similar disparity between the seriousness and the humour which is heavy rock, particularly new wave of British heavy metal, as evidenced in the Midlands. I don't feel it any coincidence that the Midlands style I grew up in has considerable interchange with the Midlands style of heavy rock music. There are all these towns in the Midlands. They're small places, 5,000, 10,000 people. There are pubs. That's it on the entertainment. <laughs> if you want to go anywhere and do any, if you're a teenager with the slightest bit of brains or gumptions, you want to go anywhere or do anything, then you need a motorbike. <laughs> and this inevitably drags you into that world of music. <laughs> it is inescapable, and it is why I heavy rock will always come boiling out of Staffordshire and Wolverhampton and things like that. I mostly don't have heavy rock in my hometown yeah. then. We just have drugs. For, for, the, <laughs> for the benefit of the audience, this is. Our both on the east coast near Dundee. Uh, my, my brother, who is also... Uh, uh, both my brothers game a bit, but one is a regular gamer. He was once asked, what's our both like? It's like Dundee, but without the facilities. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on, having... having Broken your your teeth, or or wetted your wind, or or, or whatever metaphor I was going to use on AD and D uh, and and early and the mould by D and D. What what did you move on to? Did you move on? Oh yes. Um, uh, to start with, all all we really did there was the university game sock, and it was D and D and D and D and D D and D, D D, D and I don't actually like fantasy much as a genre. I, I'm so glad I found D and D and discovered gaming, mm. but I pretty quickly got bored of that. Um, so I was looking for something else, and uh, uh, someone bought Gamma World. Uh, <laughs> someone, which is fantasy, but at least it's pretending to be science fiction. And um, really, you can't take it seriously. It, no, it, it, it was uh, yeah. We had we had um, one party. My brother was a mutated owl, which who accidentally rolled phobias of fear of heights and fear of the dark. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst owl ever. <laughs> um, oh, I think that might be the title of this episode. However, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but what we we with Cthulhu and um, RuneQuest, you have BRP. What people discovered was was um, a system that had a set of skills that you could just with with the uh, the uh, cutting edge technology of a manual typewriter um, change to suit whatever style you were doing so people were using BRP or, or uh, Cthulhu to do uh, character sheets for Wild West games, for space opera games for um, uh, kind of um, military kind of games so they you know uh, those games 
the other didn't exist, or we, we, you know, this was far north. Uh, of, it was this was Aberdeen, basically, and there were some game shops, but they didn't get everything. So, uh, from some was aware, there was a game called Twilight Two Thousand, which was some sort of post-apocalypse thing, but it never ever got that far north. Or if it did, there was one copy, and someone bought it before I got into the game shop. Kind of thing. Um, so we branched out and made our own for a while, and then. There was seemed to be a, a wave of games like um, uh, uh, Traveller Twenty Three Hundred and and various things started to appear, and we would pounced on those. So, so you, there was a there was there was a British fanzine uh, scene in very very limited uh, in the uh, in the eighties. There was uh, either of you involved in any of that. Uh, the Troll Crusher, or I was a bit involved with Troll Crusher. I, I, I wrote to, dra- I wrote letters to Dragon Lords. I never had much to do with the Unspeakable Oath and things like that. Or, but yeah, but people were, as Bob yeah. said, people were making stuff up for themselves and, mm. and being creative with with the systems which, which were with which it was easiest to do that because they were actually systems. And and we're not we're not non-D&D stuff came out I did say we pounced on them but sometimes we pounced and what we'd accidentally pounced on was Aftermath uh, after you actually <laughs> tried it out you went oh okay let's go back to BRP it's, yeah. it's, it's quicker uh, as long as it gives you enough, enough of a substrate that you're not saying hang on a minute that makes no sense or what on earth are we trying to do here um, yeah Aftermath you knew what you were doing it was just the combat system where it took us three hours to play out what would have been three minutes of combat in real time and I was running that and one, one of my poor players Sandra um, she took the tactically very sound decision, they were fighting in a warehouse, to nip out the door, run around the back of the building to come in another door so she could get the bad guys in the back. But because the combat system is so slow, she had nothing to do for about, you know, 40 minutes before, you know, uh, and you're going, no, no, I'm not running this, this again. <laughs> I had the same improve the game yourself thing. But, but we did it differently. D and D is kind of like dogs. You can breed it into any shape, <laughs> make, it gr- make it grow huge or tiny or narrow, get get any colour of coat on it, but it'll all still crossbreed with things of other species if you lift them up a bit. <laughs> That's such a perverse metaphor. <laughs> Yes, but I think it fits. I have a binder somewhere with about a hundred specialised D&D character classes for doing weird things with... with I'm I'm just picturing the very little dog staring up at the very small dog and thinking, we have common ancestry. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, yeah, and they're all still one species. Mm. Uh, one, One of the people I gamed with had a very big dog and had seen a very big uh, bitch sitting down so a very small dog could actually do the dirty deeds. <laughs> the reason we stuck with D&D was that we'd ha- we had what I call all the meta campaign, a whole bunch of referees' worlds with lampshaded means of communication with them and some relatively interesting and complex plots, some of which are still unfolding 30 years later. Is that, is that, is that the, the twice-yearly meet-up at, at Stabcom? 
Stabcon is a large part of where it's still, where it gets played now, but it's not all of it. Yeah, I have. Uh, I, I am fascinated by that as a as a phenomenon. I have absolutely no desire to go anywhere near the game, but it, it is. Yeah. I watch it every year as you come in and and you meet with the same people and you pull out the same rule books and the same thick binders of yes. back, of back reference material and, and go on a, another six hours worth of this yeah. continued <laughs> adventure. What's it? Can you tell? Give us a brief summary of what it's about. Thinking of it as an adventure or even a campaign is misleading because it isn't. What it is is that there's enough characters with enough history, enough enough NPCs and places and so forth in the world that new stuff naturally arises out of what has gone before. Mm. Or it's it's like the way people claim aim that oral storytelling was to a considerable extent made up as you went along out of an existing substrate. With this, there is sufficiently much of it, and enough people have the phenomenon of characters who live forever in the back of your head and will occasionally pop things up at you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that you never quite get fed up with it. You can sometimes, some individual adventure or something like that will grow unsatisfactory, yeah. Actually, but the whole thing itself remains worthwhile. You seem to have invented the gaming equivalent of the archers. In a sense, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only better edited. <laughs> so, uh, did, uh, did either of you? I you have this continued, and I will con- I will say a based me perverse <laughs> love of D and D. But do you Un- unusual? <laughs> unusual. Yes. We do not love it because it is D&D. We love it because of it, the settings and the characters. Mm. And to translate them into any other game system would inevitably change their character Yeah. and would require getting everybody to agree about the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Inheritance. But other than this, did, uh, did, did both of you move on? Uh, was there a stage after the the first stage of finishing, I mean, you left university. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I I I I, right. I stayed to do a PhD, and then I went to a different university to do a postdoc. So I spent right. I spent most of my life. Well, not most. I'm I'm old now, but I I spent uh, about eleven years at various university uh-huh. game socks, and then the Bristol one. I as a as a staff or student. And then, um, because Bristol Uni Games so it would take non non university members, stayed for another few years. So, uh, <laughs> but that was, that was the focus of your. Uh, uh, did, uh, did after you left for whatever reason, mm. we won't probe into your, your background. <laughs> um, what did it, did that change? Did that change? Are, are university societies different from other other gaming groups? Uh, uh, yeah, because the 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 university society tends to have. A, a, a regular influx of lots of new young enthusiastic people that freshers week every yeah. every uh, every year so suddenly 30 new people will turn up um say 10 of whom will decide to stay and stick out the whole year and then be next year's committee kind of thing but there's always a new influx of new blood so and so there's always people that have to be the old hands that are going to run the demo games and do the GMing for at least the first term until the, 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 the new guys have got into the swing of things. 
whereas the various pub groups and things I've been at, um, sometimes they, they, they just trundle on with the same ten people forever yeah. and ever and ever. And, um, and if new people arrive, they tend to arrive in ones and twos. Mm. When when mm. when the internet happened, the fact that there might be something on a, on a website about a pub group, suddenly people can can yeah. find you more more uh, easily. So sometimes that you you get an influx. Of, but it's 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 not it tend, not quite the same. Mm. And the people that are influxing tend to be, if that's a word, um, influxing um, tend to be folk that used to game at school or at uni yeah. and have, have had, unfortunately had to go and you know get jobs and <laughs> go live in the real world and all this disheartening stuff. And now um, their wives are letting them out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, or, or have had small children and now the small children are old enough they can get back into gaming um, and have come looking for a, for a, 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 a club. Did, they, um, did the university societies have to do the same thing year after year or were the incoming new new people bringing new stuff with them or did they know nothing? Um, they varied from folk that had done a bit at school, usually D&D, to people that knew nothing and had heard of this thing and, and uh, game sock and science fiction sock tended to try and have their desks next to each other so we, there was a certain amount of crossover and there was board games so you would get um, yeah. role-playing wargaming sock was one Board gaming was another, science fiction sock was another, and computer gaming was another society at Bristol Uni, for instance. And they, they would try and get desks next to each other, so because <laughs> and, and, even, and, even, and yeah. even do you know kind of um, buy two memberships for you know society X and society Y and get some money off um, <laughs> because there's a lot of crossover uh, between them. So there were people that ran campaigns from year to year but maybe with slightly different um, players in it because people had graduated or gone off mm. to do their own thing. I, I did that. I ran a, um, a, a military science fiction thing for I think, yeah. three years running um, with slightly different cast each time. Um, uh, only a couple of people, I think, were in all three sessions. And other people would, would just rock up and go, I'm going to run a D&D campaign um, this year. It's exactly the same as the one I ran last year, but it'll have new people... Or um, I bought this thing during the summer holidays. I'm desperate to run it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about gaming in pubs. This has never happened to me. All right, but it hasn't yeah. really. All right. Yeah. How's that work? I mean, do you does the pub invite you in, or do you um, just go and terrorise them? Gen- generally, it's, it's nice to have an old-fashioned pub with lots of small rooms. Yeah. And then then one can take one over informally. And, th- and then I can make it on a more formal basis once the pub has got used to one. Oh, right. <laughs> and they've accepted the fact that you buy enough drink. Um, yeah, they, they, they may, only be, may only be ten of us in this 20-person room, but your profits are not suffering. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been actively looking for pubs um, in uh, Bristol because there have been occasions when a pub has closed down or, um, or uh, in, in one case, it was a city centre pub with city centre bar prices and city centre food prices and, and no parking and mm. people rebelled and wanted um, yeah so we go and sort of say at the pub can we have your function space for nothing we promise to drink a lot of beer <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah um, some of them are, are, are well up for that uh, oh, I, I, if pubs keep closing then I can see the first gaming pub starting sometime soon all right. Well, you left university. What did you do different after you left university? Um, uh, yeah, there was a certain amount of overlap that I was 
not at uni anymore but still going to games sock. But mostly what I did differently when the, as I gradually fell away from games sock was um, uh, the Monday pub group I went to mm. pretty regularly. Um, and then started a lot more um, gaming in people's houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, the, the, we this helps when one's friends are old enough to have houses and so. Uh, yeah, well, it was to, even if it was rented flats, it's it's um, uh, you know there's uh, there was a, there was a number of sort of um, uh, gaming couples. So both of them in the house are gamers. You can lose their living room if, regardless if it's a rented flat or a, or a, an actual they own it. So and, and went to things like you, which you would never consider when you were a student, like organising a monthly game <laughs> rather than a weekly one, and organising. Um, for a short while, I was involved in a supposedly monthly game where it was people from all over the country, and it did the and people took turn to host. So mm. it was played in in Oxford and and Wolverhampton and uh, uh, and uh, and the one lonely person up in Perth kept hoping that they, they would go <laughs> to her place. Um, I spent much less time at university, only doing four years. Since then, no, I've essentially never done gaming in pubs. I'm scratching my memory for whether I've ever done it at all. Or it's always been people's houses, usually mine. I've always had enough contacts with local science fiction fandom and other strange people to be able to pull together a group that I could host. The memberships slowly evolve over time. How slowly? I mean, are you talking about uh, groups that are stable for years? Or yes. Yes. I've been in the house, house I live now for 18 years, and we've had a group there on Wednesdays all that time. <laughs> so you are getting at least one weekly... Yes. I think this is a crude question, but how often are you getting it? At least weekly. Equally, one has a weekly session. One will frequently have the uh, have phone calls or things like that that are are relevant to gaming that mm. are it set themselves as reasonably good fun. There will be a monthly game or two. Mm. There will be <laughs> there will be stab cons. A significant facet in Stabcon is, and the and the meta campaign is that Dave Waring, the founder of Stabcon, mm. was one of those people who went around between Midlands universities cross fertilising. <laughs> he started <laughs> a mental Stab- image coming across. He started yeah. Stabcon, <laughs> Abcon, essentially as a way to do these things a little more comprehensively. Mm. Then we persuaded him to restart it after it had been in abeyance for a couple of years. Mm. Then he shut it down. Then we ran Conjunction, which is probably something you want to go on to later. Yeah. And Hammy and Michelle restarted StabCon and have run it ever since. That has been... Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. If you have an enthusiasm about some sort of uh, transhumanist future, please write and tell us all about it, uh, either by leaving a message on the website or... Email to podcast at techeli.ly. And we'll be back with more enthusiasms and more interviewing next time. <laughs>